Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, June the 13th. We continue in our study in the book of Hebrews today, looking at chapter 7, verses 27 of chapter 7, through actually verse 5 of chapter 8. There's something about the book of Hebrews. The, the, the author of Hebrews simply cannot take their eyes off of Jesus. They, they're writing to baffled, confused, harassed, and persecuted Christians of that first century who were tempted to be cold, to coldness and a dullness um, as a response, really, because of the glamour of, of the falseness that was all around them. And, and we heard the writer say in our last time together, in our last study, in the seventh chapter, it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 7. You see, Christ was just what they needed. And because this is scripture and is written for all people of God in all ages, it is also true that he is just exactly what we need. And these baffling, pressure-filled, bewildering days that are 2021. Now between verse 26 and verse 27 of chapter 7 there's there's a major division in the letter. Between these two verses the the writer of Hebrews turns from the discussion of the person of Jesus Christ to his work and his sacrifice. In the next 3 chapters focus on that great altar of the cross and the bleeding sacrifice of Jesus that was there. You know, we will never understand Jesus except in connection with the cross, and we will never understand the cross apart from the person of Christ. They, they are indivisibly united. And in chapter 8, we will see this, that this transforming event opened up for Jesus a new dimension of ministry and results for us in a new arrangement for living. So what do we mean when we say a new dimension of ministry? Well, the answer is found in the last two verses of chapter 7 and the first five verses of chapter 8. There is first a perfect sacrifice. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to read Hebrews 7, 27 through 28, reading from the NIV version. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. If we join those two phrases of that passage together to get the main thought of he offered up himself and he was made perfect. You see, as a priest, Jesus could find no unblemished sacrifice that he could offer except himself. So he offered himself as a sacrifice. There was no other priest worthy of offering such a sacrifice. So Jesus became both priest and victim. And in speaking the first three words from the cross, Jesus is 
is a priest. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 22, or excuse me, 23, 34. He's, he's interceding for the murderers who have nailed him to the tree. And then he turns to the thief at his side and says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 43. He is ministering grace to this criminal who readily admitted his need. Then to his mother and the disciple John, who were standing at the foot of the cross, he says, Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. John 19, 26 through 27. He, he is still a priest, ministering comfort to their hearts, giving them one to the other so that their needs can be met. But at this moment, a change occurred. The, the son was hidden, and a strange, unaccountable darkness comes across the land for three hours. And the first word from the cross out of the out of that darkness is this terrible cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46, also recorded in Mark chapter 15, 34. Now he's no longer a priest. He is the victim offered as a sacrifice on the altar of the cross. Then from the midst of that hell of pain, even more excruciating anguish of of spirit comes the words i thirst john 19:28 and then this is followed by the last two cries from the cross when with a loud voice at the end of the 3 hours he shouted it is finished john 19:30 and then father into your hands i commit my spirit luke 23:46 immediately he gave up the ghost and those last words he is still a sacrifice, having completed the work that God the Father gave him to do. And so if we will join two more phrases of this passage together, we, we will get the complete thought of the writer of Hebrews here. Not only did Christ offer up himself as the perfect sacrifice, but he did it once for all, forever. That means the cross is a timeless event. It is not simply a historic occurrence that we look back on and study as we would any other historical event. It is an, it is an intrusion, if you will, of eternity into time, into finite time. It is timeless. It is as though it is going on forever and had been going on since even the foundation of the world. It is then eternally contemporary. You see, every age, every generation, every age can know for itself the meaning of the cross. It reaches back to cover all history. So that can be said that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. So all those old, of the Old Testament who had not yet known the, the historical presentation of Jesus could be saved just as we are saved today because the cross reached backward into time as well as forward. The cross of Jesus Christ from God's point of view is the central act of history. It is the X and the Y axis. It is the origin. Everything flows from that. From that great event, all hope is flowing, all light shines. It is to that all events 
look for their meaning. This is what we mean when we say that Christ ministers in a new dimension, an eternal dimension, performing a contemporary act that is always meaningful. This gives point to what the author of Hebrews says next. The results of this perfect sacrifice are being continually ministered to us. Hebrews 8, 1 through 5, again in the NIV, the high priest of a new covenant. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the, of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. As the writer of Hebrews says, the point of emphasis and what they have been saying is not duration, but location. The question is, where is this kind of ministry of Jesus available? Where do we find it? And the answer, they answer that it comes from the risen Jesus, who is at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, a minister of the true sanctuary, which God made, not man. Now, if we get the if we get the picture, we get that from the if we get the picture we get from that is that we are that we're poor struggling mortals left here on planet earth and Jesus is somewhere out in space in heaven out there then then we miss the entire point of the argument if that's what we're getting here it is true of course that Jesus is in heaven but where is heaven well heaven is not quote unquote out there somewhere remote in space it is not some spatial location which can be pinpointed on some other planet, some distant galaxy in all of the great reaches of space. Heaven is within. Heaven is this new dimension which is as present on earth as it is anywhere else. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is within you, Luke 17, 21. So I think it will help us to understand this if we look at what he says about the pattern. You see, the tabernacle was a pattern of this. We're told that Moses built the tabernacle according to a pattern, which was shown to him when he ascended Mount Sinai to receive the law from, from the hands of God. He was given specific instructions. See that you make everything according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain, Exodus 25, 9. When the tabernacle took form and shape under the direction of Moses, it was a copy of something else that Moses had already seen. A copy of what? The tabernacle was built in three parts. There was a great outer court in which the people could come, but no Gentiles. There was a structure in the center of this court divided into two sections. One part was called the holy place where were located certain articles of, of furniture. And into that holy place, only the priest 
and the Levites could enter. And the third part of the tabernacle was the the rear section of this structure called the Holy of Holies, containing in it the Ark of the Covenant of God, where dwelt, where lived the Shekinah glory, the glowing light that indicates that indicated the presence of God. And into that Holy of Holies, hidden behind the veil, entrance was prohibited to all on pain of death, with the exception of the high priest who could enter once a year and then only under the most rigid requirements involving the shedding of a sacrifice and the taking in of a basin of blood. All this was a pattern, a shadow. It was a copy of the truth. Well, the fascinating thing, and this is why it's so important to study and to know the Old Testament, because everything in the Old Testament is prophetic to the coming of Jesus. It all points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so when we only read half of the Bible, we negate God's word, which is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking and training in the ways of righteousness. That is the Old Testament. We can't simply get rid of it because we don't like it or we don't understand it. It is God's word. It is part of the canon of scripture. It is holy. And when we look at it and study it, there's this whole other depth and knowledge and understanding of Jesus. All of this, the tabernacle was a shadow. It was a pattern. You see, we live in a universe made on three levels. There is, first of all, the world of matter, the world of things, Material, physical structures, things that we can touch, see, sense, taste, smell. And there's this great and varied area for discovery and exploration in this world. You see, science works in this world. Well, then there's the world of the mind, the world of of ideas, of emotions, of the arts, of knowledge, the interchange of human thought. It, too, is this rich world. It invites us. It invites us to voyage and to discover, doesn't it? And beyond this world is the world of the spirit, a world of that's a vast mystery to us. It it is a world where there are hidden the secrets of life and light, love. The keys to living are all in that world of the spirit. But into that world, you see, we can't enter. No man can. It is a world separated from us, shut away from us. We don't have a way of access to it in and of ourselves. Now, Moses was shown all this. He saw the invisible realities of the nature of God, the structure of the universe, the need for man, uh, the need for man for a mediator, a way of access, a way of entrance into this world where all the secrets of life are hidden. Man And the uniqueness of his nature and structure is designed to live in all three of these worlds, ultimately. It is is God's intention that man should have access to that inner world. We have no difficulty, to some degree, right? No difficulty with the worlds of mind and matter. We find our bodies wonderfully adapted to the world of matter. We can touch this world. We can taste it, sense it, feel it, examine it, explore it analyze it, take it apart, put it together again, rearrange it. We are also pretty adapted to enter the world of the mind. We can explore it. We can weigh ideas. We can think. We can analyze them. We can entertain the various thoughts and ideas. We find excitement in doing this. We can enjoy music. 
the beauty of structure and form. But into the world of the Spirit, in and of ourselves, we cannot enter. There is only one who can enter that realm, the Holy of Holies, the High Priest. And by means of a cross, our High Priest, the only High Priest humanity will ever have, entered into the Holy of Holies. He broke through into the realm of the Spirit so that he is able to set mankind free in the area where we have been held in greatest bondage. Through him, we can enter into this amazing realm where the secrets of life are held. The cross of Jesus is the gateway into the realm of the Spirit. And we penetrate into this secret place of our own being only as we do so through Jesus Christ. The cross is made for the whole man. So the cross can be understood on three levels of life. There's the understanding of of the cross on the physical level, pain, anguish, the awfulness of it. There's an understanding of, of cross on the emotional level. It is a moving experience to think about what occurs in the mind and the heart of those connected with the cross, especially in Jesus's mind. But the real meaning of the cross never comes to us except as we move into the realm of the spirit. Our minds or emotions are incapable of explaining it on this level. We are shut up to what God says it means. But on that level, we discover there's marvelous meaning and insight that's given to us in the cross. And in the next section, the writer of Hebrews begins to unfold to us the results of this sacrifice. This first part reveals the provision in the cross of a new arrangement for living. A new arrangement. But if there is a new arrangement... That suggests, of course, that there must have been an old arrangement. And for a brief moment, we have to look at the predicted failure of the law, that old arrangement. But we'll pick that up next week. To close our time, I want to read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in Every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. And God bless.